Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10. We are back in the book of Exodus. So our children are leaving. I think I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. It was senior skip day, and your pastor did a stupid thing as a senior in high school. We decided as a group of seniors to go hiking, go camping, and so we were from Colorado Springs, and we drove all the way down to Alamosa and went to the great sand dunes, and um, we spent some time there, and I said, hey, let's go a little bit further over to this area by Wolf Creek Pass. There's a great hike. It goes up to a waterfall. It goes up to a hot springs. It'll be an awesome time. So we drove on further. We got to the, the campground, and it was about 5 o'clock at night. And so I got everybody all ready to go up the mountain. And so we started hiking up the trail, and I, and I knew that this hot springs would be just around the corner. What I forgot was like a four-mile hike, and it's 5 o'clock at night. And so we're starting to hike, and, and my friends are getting really mad at me, like, Sean, where is it? Where is it? And so I decide to run ahead to see how far it was. So I run ahead, and I realize by this time they've headed back down the mountain. They, they were not going to follow me onto this little escapade. So I get up into the mountains, and it starts to get dark. And I realize that this was like late May, early June. There's still patches of snow. I don't have a flashlight. It's pitch black. And so I start running back down the mountain. And I land in a big patch of snow waist deep. It was like quicksand, trying to get myself out. So I'm in the quicksand, or the snow. It's pitch black. I have shorts on. There's no, there's no flashlight. And I hear these weird animal sounds coming from the bushes. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the stupidest thing you have ever done in your life. So I wiggled myself out. And I finally got back down the mountain, and I met up with my friends, and of course they gave me what for for all the stuff that I did. I was trying to impress my friends by walking in the darkness and leading them on this little crusade to go to this hot springs. And needless did I know that when it's Colorado and it's cold and it's dark and you're in the mountains and there's wild animals, it would help to possibly have a flashlight. But I didn't have anything. Walking at night without a flashlight in the middle of the mountains, is foolish, it is dangerous. Walking without a light. We are back in the book of Exodus, and we come to the ninth plague. And the ninth plague is darkness over the whole land. Now, it's been a few weeks. We took a break before Christmas, and we have not been in Exodus for a while, so let's just recap for a brief moment. The Sovereign Lord has executed judgments on Egypt. Now, if you remember, each plague represents or corresponds a pagan Egyptian god or goddess that God is trying to, um, to, to correspond there. And, and you may ask the question that I did. I, I asked the question, 
why 10 plagues? Why so many? Why, why not God just do one huge plague and be done with it? Why like this calculated move of plague after plague after plague? The Bible doesn't really answer that question. But I think it's to show us that God is absolutely superior and sovereign over all of these false gods. It's a dramatic way of God saying, I am the Lord. Exodus 42.8, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Each of these plagues has corresponded to an Egyptian god or goddess, and so God saves the most powerful pagan deity for last in the ninth plague. So let's dive in. Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 29. Exodus 10, 21 through 29. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord, your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let him go. And Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day that you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. So this morning, I want us just to explore three truths that emerge from this passage of Scripture. Here's the first. Egypt's false confidence. The Egyptians worshipped and prayed to the sun. Horus was the god of sunrise. Atum was the god of sunset. But the supreme deity of Egypt and the pantheon of all their pagan gods, the highest, most superior god of gods among all the Egyptians, was Ra, the sun god. He was believed to be the supreme creator of all things in the minds of the Egyptians. And and Ra said this about himself. I am the great god who came into being, and I have no opponents among the gods. Ra. Now, also, Pharaoh was considered the the physical embodiment of the, the sun god. So Pharaoh himself was the incarnation of Ra in the flesh, and so the people would oftentimes actually pray to Pharaoh, worship Pharaoh as the incarnation of Ra, the sun god. When you think about what Pharaoh's doing here, it's almost as if he's a precursor to the Antichrist. He's setting himself up in the place of God. Now, the Egyptians were very obsessed with the sun. I mean, they worshiped the sun in all of its its manners and parts. 
And we're thankful for the sun. I mean, God created the sun. It provides us with heat. It provides us with warmth. We would not have our solar system without the sun. And so if I went to Walmart or I go to your school or I go out to your job and, and we were to ask people, do you worship the sun? What are most people going to say? I don't worship the sun. Are you crazy? Do you worship the sun? Most people that we talk to today don't worship the sun as an idol. Maybe you, if you know somebody that worships the sun, come tell me afterwards because I want to know somebody that worships the sun. Most people don't worship the sun. But in our culture today, there is a false god that people worship. Do you want to know what the false god is of today? Do you want to know what the supreme deity, the supreme false god of today is? Do you want to know what people worship and bow down to today? Self. Self. People are obsessed with self. It's all about my pleasure. It's all about my wants, my identity, my rights. I will do whatever I need to do to be happy, to be prosperous. Regardless of any standard of behavior or ethics, what matters most is me and my happiness. Now, you guys know what the Westminster Shorter Catechism says. What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. You're not going to hear that mantra in our world today. What's the mantra of our world today? The chief end of people is to glorify myself and to find as much satisfaction and happiness in myself regardless of the cost. What is ultimate is me, my pleasure, my rights, my identity, me, self, self, self. If you don't believe me, listen to some of the popular songs. Now, I don't listen to this music, so I had to go on, I had to go on the Internet to find these, these songs, okay? So... Your pastor doesn't listen to this music, but I'm giving you these as an example. Some of you may like, listen to this, and I'm not going to judge you. But Haley Steinfeld has a song, Love Myself. Here are the lyrics. Going to love myself. No, I don't need anybody else. I'm going to love myself. Nicki Minaj and Beyonce have a song called Feeling Myself. With these lyrics, I stop the world, male or female. It makes no difference. I stop the world. I'm glad you have such confidence in yourself to stop the world. Who says by Selena Gomez, you've got every right to a beautiful life. Don't you hear that? You've got every right to a beautiful life. Born this way by Lady Gaga. Don't hide yourself in regret. Just love yourself and you're set. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Love yourself. Express yourself. You're born that way. I'm the king of the world. I stopped the world. It's nothing new. Back in the late 1800s, one of America's famous authors, Walt Whitman, had a poem called Song of Myself. I celebrate myself and sing myself. Divine I am inside and out. I make holy whatever I touch. If I worship one thing more than another, it shall be my own body. The human heart loves to worship itself. You go to Facebook, you go to YouTube, you go to Instagram, you go to social media, you go to Netflix, you go all over the internet, wherever you go, it's all about the self, the pleasure of the self. You stopped the world. You were born that way. You've got a right to a beautiful life. 
Celebrate and worship yourself. Now, for Egypt, it was the sun. For our culture, I believe it's the self. So there's this false confidence that Egypt has in Ra, the sun god. It's a false confidence. Now, we've seen these eight plagues, and they correspond to eight gods or goddesses. And so now comes where God's going to shut down Ra, the ultimate deity in the minds of the Egyptians, the sun god. They have all their confidence in Pharaoh, all their confidence in the sun. And what does God do? Here's the second thing we see in this passage of Scripture. God's sovereign power. In the eyes of the Egyptians, Ra was the creator. He was a supreme deity. And God shuts him down for three days. Snuffs out the sun. Now I want you to notice something. In verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be a darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. A darkness to be felt. It's an interesting way to phrase it. It's got kind of a double meaning in the original language. It was a darkness that was ominous. It was overpowering. It was palpable. It could be felt. It was horrible. That's one way you can take that. It was a darkness that could be felt and that people had to feel around their way. They had to grope in the darkness. They, they had to, to reach out and try to, try to find things in the darkness. Now, think about this for a moment. We take electricity for granted, do we not? I mean, it gets a little convenient when the power goes out. It's not that big of a deal. We have backup generators. We have flashlights. But this was back in the day before any of that stuff. It was a dreadful, terrible darkness. It wasn't just an inconvenience. It lasted three days. Pitch black, palpable, dreadful darkness. And what do you think the Egyptians are thinking? What are they thinking? Where is Ra? Where's the sun god? Why is he not coming to our rescue? Why is this happening? He's the supreme deity. If the sun goes out for three days, we are toast. Why is he not doing something to stop the darkness? Here's what happened. Their false god failed. He couldn't deliver because he's a false god. Here's the reality. Whatever you put your trust in that's not Jesus will fail you. It will not deliver. It will not bring the satisfaction it promises. It will fail you time and time again, whatever it is. Whatever it is that your heart puts itself into trust that's not Jesus, ultimately that idol, that thing, that God will fail you. It will disappoint you. It will leave you wanting more. It will never satisfy. Now, why darkness? Is it just a coincidence? Is God just having fun? Hey, let's do darkness for three days. What is darkness? Spiritually, what does darkness represent? The Bible has a lot to say about darkness and what it represents spiritually. It represents sin. 
the spiritual reality of depravity, that every person is born enslaved and in bondage to darkness. Proverbs 4.19, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Mickey read this earlier during our time of confession. John 3, 19 through 20, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved, loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Jesus is very graphic in his language here. It's not that you just liked the light. You loved the darkness. You loved the darkness. You don't want to come into the light. Because if you come into the light, you're exposed like a cockroach. Anybody like cockroaches? What happens to cockroaches when they get exposed to the light? They scatter. Because cockroaches love to live in darkness. What do cockroaches do? They live in darkness and feed off bacteria. That's their existence. Wouldn't you love to have that existence? I live in darkness and feed off bacteria. That's my existence. And if light shines on me, I get freaked out and I scatter. But I wonder how many people spiritually are like cockroaches. You love spiritual darkness and you love feeding on the bacteria of this world. And when the light of the gospel shines, you're like a cockroach. Don't shine that light on me because I love the darkness. I love it. It's not just an indifference towards the things of God. It's actually a hatred towards the things of God. They loved the darkness rather than the life, the light. That's what Jesus says about darkness. Ephesians 4.18, this is what Paul says about darkness. He's talking about non-believers here, those that have not yet come to faith in Christ. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. They're darkened in their understanding. They have hard hearts. They're spiritually ignorant. They're, 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 they're hardened to the things of the Lord. They're blinded. They're darkened. Until God does that work to bring the light of the gospel to them. John says it this way in 1 John 1, 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So God is exposing their sin by letting them sit there for three days in darkness. You really don't have a lot to do when you're sitting in darkness for three days, except for to sit and think about the darkness. You think about your sin. You think about your depravity. You think about what it means to be in spiritual darkness. For three days, God does this. But the third thing we see in this passage of Scripture is God's sovereign protection. Now, we've seen this before, but we see it again. Look in verse 23. They, the Egyptians did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place. They didn't rise from their place for three days. They sat there in the dark for three days in fear, in terror, wondering where their God was. But notice what it says. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Now, remember, they're in Goshen. A land carved out where God protects them. And you may say, well, how come Israel is so lucky to have light? Was Israel any better? Was Israel any less guilty? Was Israel any less sinful? 
No, they were just as sinful as the Egyptians, but God sovereignly protected them because they were his people. God sovereignly protected his people. He gave them light because they were his people. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. When you come into a relationship with the Father through Jesus, you come into the kingdom of light, to the God who is light. Isaiah 9, 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Ephesians 5, 8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Israel had the light. Israel was in the light. Israel was in Goshen. And so as children of the light, they were to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God's rescued us from the domain of darkness, brought us into this kingdom. 1 Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So, we can leave here today. We can have some really good information about Exodus, right? It's interesting about the sun god Ra. It's interesting about darkness. It's, it's some good Bible trivia. It'll help you maybe win a contest with your friends late at night if you're talking about deep theological Egyptian mythology. I don't know who would do that, but maybe you like doing stuff like that. But let's ask the question that we've tried to attempt to ask every week. Where's Jesus in this passage? You say, Pastor Sean, I don't see Jesus anywhere in this passage. Well, you're right. But what does the ninth plague of darkness before the Passover point us forward to. While Jesus is not explicitly mentioned in this passage, what happened to Jesus while he was hanging on the cross? Luke 23, 44 through 45. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Darkness over the land, not for three days, three hours. Why is there a darkness that can be felt over the land while Jesus is hanging on the cross? Because in those moments, he was taking the full punishment for our sins. He was taking the justice that we deserved. He was taking the penalty that was due us. He was becoming a curse. All the weight of God's justice was on Jesus in those moments. Paul says at Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Jesus was forsaken for three hours of darkness so that you and I would never have to be forsaken in an eternity of darkness.
because the Lord loved us so much. And what did Jesus cry out after he died? Or right before he died? It is finished. And where did they lay Jesus? In a tomb. For how many days? Three days of darkness in the earth. You know, his enemies thought they'd sealed his doom. His enemies thought, we'll never have to deal with this Jesus guy again. But think about his disciples. Three days in the tomb was probably a darkness that could be felt. Where's our Savior? All hope is lost. Our King has died. He's been buried. Where is the Lord? Three days of darkness. What happened on the third day? At the light of first dawn, on the morning of the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the tomb and he shattered the darkness on that glorious morning, on that glorious day. He defeated the darkness once and for all. The darkness of the wrath of God and the darkness of the grave, Jesus conquered by rising again. He's the risen king. He's the Lord of lords. The question becomes, okay, now what do you have to do in response to this? How do you respond to the risen Savior who's conquered the darkness? What, what needs to happen? What, what do I do? What's required? What do you have to have? Just some historical information about Jesus that warms your heart? Yeah, that's a great story. Do you see Jesus as kind of like a moral teacher that taught some cool things? Yeah, he was kind of a cool teacher. Or maybe he was a martyr among many martyrs that gave his life for a cause he really believed in. What do you do? How do you respond? Let me just issue you a warning before I answer that question. I've said this before, but Exodus is a foreshadowing to what happens in the book of Revelation. The plagues in Exodus will happen again, but it won't be confined to Egypt. They will be worldwide. Revelation 16, 10 through 11. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. There will be a final day of darkness. So the only way to escape the darkness is to come into the light. To come into the light of Jesus. Now, what does that mean? That sounds kind of, kind of churchy. Come into the light. Does that mean I go to church more often? Does that mean I got to give a little bit more money to charity? I got to be a little bit more spiritual. I, I got to really ramp up my New Year's resolution so I can be a better person in 2019. I hope I obey the golden rule just a little bit better this year. How do I come into the light? What do you do? Well, the Bible is very clear how you come into the light. You repent of your love affair with self, you repent of your sin. And you turn and you trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. 
You may not worship the sun like the Egyptians did, but I guarantee you, you worship something. Every single one of you in here worships something. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we look deep down and we pull the recesses, we pull the onion of our heart away, we look down and says, what's the one thing that I worship the most? It's ourselves. You've got to repent of that. You've got to turn from trusting in self, turn from your sin, and as you turn from that, you turn and you trust completely in Jesus Christ alone to save you. You say no to your agenda. It's not about my agenda. It's not about my wants, my needs, my plans. Uh, It's not about me at all. I submit myself to the king. What did Jesus say about himself in John 8, 12? Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Are you walking in darkness, or are you following the light of the world? Who are you following? You know, Paul says something very interesting in 2 Corinthians. He he gives this analogy of darkness and light, almost like the day of creation, where, where God spoke into the darkness of creation and said, let there be light. Paul makes this a spiritual reality that needs to happen to every single one of us if we're going to come into the light. He says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. In their case, the God of this world, that's, that's Satan, the devil. He's blinded the minds of unbelievers. Their minds are blinded. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Has that happened to you? Has that happened to you? Has the Lord invaded the darkness of your heart and opened your eyes to the beauty of Christ? Do you see Jesus as beautiful, as glorious, as worthy? Or do you see yourself? Don't stay in the darkness. Don't love the darkness. Instead, by faith, trust in Christ alone as your Lord and Savior. Step into the light. Come into the light the light. Jesus stands ready, willing, and able as the light of the world to receive anybody who would come to him in repentance and faith that wants out of the darkness and into the light. My prayer for all of us this morning is that we would come into his marvelous Let me ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. Lord, it's my prayer that every single person in this room has had the light of the gospel shown in their hearts, that our eyes have been opened to the glory of Christ. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that's walking in darkness, that loves the darkness, that's miserable in the darkness, Lord, would today be the day where you call them into your marvelous light. Lord, we we love you. We thank you that you have 
died on the cross for our sins. You experienced the darkness of God's justice. You experienced the darkness of the tomb. But you broke through all of those barriers and rose again as our victorious king. Jesus, you are the true light of the world. You're our king. This week, would we submit to you and walk as children of the light with our eyes fixed on you, Jesus, and as we follow you and as we serve you. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. It's in your name that we pray these things, Jesus. Amen.